Good morning, y'all. Good morning. Um, my name is Dustin, and I'm excited y'all are here. Um, I'm super excited to uh, get into the Bible this morning. Um, one of my favorite passages. I feel like I tell y'all that every week, and y'all are like, how many favorite passages do you have? But this really is another one of my favorites, and so that's the benefit of doing a passage per uh, book of the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians um, chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. If you know much about the book of Philippians, um, you know that it's a, a very powerful book, and so there's actually lots of good stuff in it that we'll not be able to cover, but this is one of my favorite ones. So Philippians chapter 1, um, there's one thing I wanted to mention before uh, we get uh, digging into it this morning, and it's that um, this afternoon we have baby dedications, and so um, we're very excited about that. And uh, what it is in our church, what we believe is that um, dedicating your baby to the Lord obviously does not equal salvation. It doesn't mean you're, um, that's a whole nother uh, thing, but what we believe it is is that um, as parents, we come together and we um, are partnering with the local church, partnering with our church um, to to raise our kids in the ways of the Lord. Right? Um, one of the Psalms talks about um, how kids are a blessing, and the reason it's a blessing for God's kingdom is because kids are like arrows shot out, and that's usually the passage I talk about at baby dedications. Is kids are like arrows shot out from a warrior for God's kingdom, and so basically we get to raise up an army to go out and be people that drive the gospel forward. And I believe we're at a time now with social media and the internet and things that um, we could probably push the gospel forward um, faster than any time before. But the flip side is just as true, is that because of those same things, the gospel could also be suppressed um, more than it ever has before. And so I think it's very important that we um, raise our kids in the ways of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Y'all may not be excited about that, but maybe some of you have kids and you will be. So anyways, all right, so Philippians chapter one is where we'll be. Um, I wanna read starting in verse 12 and we'll go through verse 26. And then um, it's gonna be a lot, so bear with me and then we'll get started. So just know, so um, as the previous books we've preached in, Paul, the Apostle Paul is the one writing the book of uh, Philippians. He's writing it to the church in Philippi, right? I tell you all this every week. They just add I-A-N-S on the end of the books to the city, and that says he's writing to the people in that place, right? Um, so that, that, should, um, that, that principle applies to a lot of the books, Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, they, they go on and on. So it's the same deal. Now, what you do, the one thing I do want you to know is um, most scholars believe that Paul planted this church about 10 years prior to writing the letter. So this isn't like a relationship that's just barely been there. Think about how the relationships that are already formed in our church, y'all. This church has only been here for about to be two years. And you feel like your brother and sister with a lot of the people here. And that's a good thing. That's what the church should feel like. But they're going on 10 years and this is brand new. Like these people radically changed their life. And so Paul's writing to them. And so you can sense a lot of the um, just passion behind it and passion in his writing when he talks about what he talks about. So Paul writes, starting in verse 12, he says this. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, this is Paul, what happened to Paul has actually served to advance the gospel. Let me pause there because there's a very important thing you need to know. He's, what has happened to him? So he says, what has happened to him has caused him to want to push the gospel forward. Paul's in prison when he's writing this letter in Rome. So he is literally in Rome, in prison for his faith, and he's to the point where um, he's, he's honestly contemplating if he needs to give in and say, I'm, I'm done trying to push the gospel forward. My time has come. I'm gonna give in to the, to the Roman guards. I'm gonna let them kill me or, or I'm gonna let them have their way with me. I'm done with trying to push it forward. And he says, but hold on. 
That there, there's a lot more work left to do, so I'm not going to give in is what he's going to say in a minute. But he says here that all of this has happened. Why? So that the gospel can go forward. That's the whole purpose of what Paul is doing and what the purpose of the church is, our job as the church. Pick up in verse 13 with me. It says, as a result of him being in prison, it has become clear throughout the whole place guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So he's literally in chains for Christ. Verse 14, it says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He says, so because I've gone to prison for Jesus, a lot more people are doing bold things for Jesus. So he's saying it's actually helping the cause that he's in prison. What a perspective that I think we miss a lot in our life when suffering comes. Verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill, right? So pause there. Let me read this verse or show you what's kind of coming out of this verse. He says, some people are preaching Christ. Some people are talking about Jesus and their motive is not right. Some people are talking about Jesus and their motive is to build themselves up, not Christ. Some people are talking about Jesus in a negative way. He says in a minute, but what they don't realize is it's actually spreading Jesus everywhere. And he's gonna say in a minute that whether the, the, no matter the motive, the good thing is, is that the gospel's being pushed forward. Verse 16, it says, the latter, the ones doing it out of goodwill or the ones that are doing it rightly, correctly, knowing that I'm here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the, the bad guys, so to speak, preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains, right? Their people are out trying to spread the name of Jesus so that Paul would be punished more. And look at the perspective he takes on this, y'all. This is crazy. I can't, I can't exaggerate the, the, the moment that for him to write this is a big deal. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I will rejoice. That's strong words, y'all. To think that he's in prison, about to probably be killed at this point in his life. And he says, I don't care why you're talking about Jesus. I don't care who talks about Jesus. The idea that as Jesus goes forward, we're all gonna celebrate. And this is a, a big idea coming from the guy that's literally in chains for Christ. And then he gets, y'all, I hope you feel kind of the, the weight of what he's writing about here because then he gets to a verse that a lot of us put on coffee cups, right? He gets to a verse that sounds like a cool thing to us a lot, but you realize the perspective that he writes Philippians in, it's not to win football games. It's not to kill big deer to make more money. It's for the gospel to go forward. The perspective that he's writing this book from is much different. Starting at the end of verse 18, it says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, him being in prison, will turn out for my deliverance. This is where it gets really good. It says, I, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. He's in chains and he's saying, at this time more than ever, I hope that Christ is exalted, right? Because here's the cool part. God's glory was shown most 
when we were in the most helpless state needing a savior and his glory was exalted most when we had to fix our eyes on him and what he had to do for us because in our helpless state, we couldn't do it for ourselves. So therefore, for Paul to be in a helpless state, he says, this is all the more reason for me to exalt Jesus. He has nothing to brag about at this point. He's literally in chains, he's in prison, he's chained down and he says, I just want Jesus to be glorified in my body. He says, whether by life or by death, meaning if he dies, he's gonna to get to know Christ. And if he lives, he's gonna spread Christ, right? There's no, there's no lose situation for Paul, y'all. He says, death has no sting. He says, if you kill me, I'm gonna go be with the one I live for. And if you let me live, I'm gonna spread his name until everybody knows about him. That's powerful, right? And the reason is, is because he doesn't see his life as deserving of something. He doesn't see his life that he has earned something. He sees his life as a total sacrifice to Jesus. And then we hit some of these good verses. Verse 21. Y'all think about this verse in the, in the context of where we are. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Those are strong words. Read the rest of it. If I am going to go on living in this body or in the body, meaning fleshly, not in heaven, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What he's saying is to live, I'm gonna live for Christ. To die, I'm gonna be with Christ. He says, but if I'm gonna keep living, there has to be a motive for me to keep living, right? This is honestly where he's at, y'all. This is a big dilemma that I think most Christians should get to if we understand how sweet it's gonna be to see Jesus face to face. He says, you know what? I can give up now and I can see my savior face to face and it'll be the greatest thing I've ever enjoyed in my life. He says, but it's better for me not to give in because there's people who don't know that savior, amen? So any situation we're in, right, whether it's criticism, whether we're at work and we're being criticized and that's the suffering we face, whether it's cancer in our family, whether it's um, somebody talking bad about our wife or husband or whether it's a miscarriage, right? This whole spectrum of suffering, he says, no matter what, there's a reason to push forward, y'all, and that's because there's people that don't know Jesus. And as long as there's people that don't know Jesus, the church needs to keep pushing the gospel forward. Amen? Golly, I get fired up. I'm not even through the passage yet. I'm sorry. Verse 22, it says, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? Am I gonna live or am I gonna die? Because both are awesome, he says. I don't know. He says, I'm torn between the two, two options. I desire to depart and be with Christ. It's a strong desires of his which is better by far. He says heaven's gonna be way better than the experiences we get with Christ here. He says, but it will be more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He tells the Philippians, he says, look, if I give myself up, you don't have me anymore. There's no more Paul to write letters. There's no more Paul to plant churches. There's no more people in other cities past Rome that are gonna get to know Christ. He says, so it's better for us that Paul kept going, right? It's better for us that Martin Luther kept going. It's better for us that Martin Luther King Jr. kept going. It's better for us that all these Christians beforehand saw their life as a living sacrifice or we would not even know the name of Jesus, right? And so you start getting to this point where you're like, man, to give it all to Christ is to literally say, death has no sting, so I might as well give everything to Christ. 
Verse 25, we're about done. It says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. It's a big word, joy. If you want a circular word, I'm gonna be talking a lot about joy in a few minutes. So that through my being with you again, so that while he sees him again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. He says, I don't wanna let you down. I want y'all to see Christ through me. Um, I hope that this passage, you can understand some of the monuments because I think there's some really big ideas that we can pull from it um, and apply to our lives today. So let's pray and let's um, unpack some of what this can mean for us. God, God, I pray we don't take your word lightly. Lord, I pray that God give us the wisdom. God, you give us the thoughts in our brain. You give us the um, words that we say, Lord. You give us the ability to be able to hear and listen and read and write. God, and right now I pray that you would put that focus of all those things on your word. God, help us understand it. God, help us know you more through it. God, and help it be living and active, Lord. Let it not be something stale and that has no emotion and and no effect on us, Lord, but let it be the thing that we live our lives by. God, let it be what compels us to push forward. Lord, I thank you for the people here. God, I, I, I do. I thank you and I love them. God, I pray that you would just ignite something in all of us, Lord, to make us want to love you more and want to spread your gospel more boldly than we ever have before. God, we just love you so much, Lord. Um, We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how many of you uh, have heard the saying, um, I guess the best way to, to say it would be, how many of you have heard the saying, um, you don't know how good you have it until you lose it or something along those lines, right? You, you don't understand how good you have it until it's taken away or you don't know how good you have it until it fails you, so to speak. Um, I was thinking about this this week and um, I, I don't know, I was actually talking with a couple guys this morning about um, like uh, Georgia football, right? How many of y'all are Georgia football fans? I hope a lot. Those of you not in here, um, it's okay. But um, I was thinking about this. So, flashback for Georgia football, y'all, to about three years ago. We were in a place where we were hoping for 10 win seasons, right? We were literally hoping for 10 win seasons. If we could just make it to the SEC championship game, it'll be a win for our season, right? Because our expectations were low. We didn't have many expectations, right? Think about, I mean, is anybody a Tennessee fan in here? Anybody? Surely we got one somewhere, right? Nope. All right, good. Then maybe I can say what I want about them. I'm just kidding. But think about this with me. Tennessee fans, they were literally just begging for a win up to yesterday, right? Their expectations were not national championship. Their expectations were not SEC championship. Their expectations were not, were, they were praying to make a bowl game, right? They're, they're, they're not in a good spot. They had been killed by every single SEC team, you know? So their expectations are just, I want to win, you know? And so you look at the difference in expectations between Georgia fans yesterday before the game and Tennessee fans or even Georgia fans like me three years ago versus yesterday, right? Think about the, the wide ray of spectrum that you have people on there. It's like in the matter of three years, we've gone from just help us win, help us get to the SEC championship to if we don't win the national championship, our coach needs to be fired, our quarterback needs to be let go, and our whole defense sucks, right? Right? Y'all, y'all with me? 
And the whole idea, y'all, is because we've based how we see Georgia football on three things that I think shouldn't matter. We've based it on expectations, emotions, and experience, meaning the, 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 the most recent circumstances, right? Now, listen, I say all of this because I think it transfers into how we see God, right? Think about this. If we come to God and we don't have a foundation for who he is, not based on those three things, we make God a dangerous thing in our life. So here's the, the first thing I want us to see in this passage, and it's gonna lead to a couple more, but it's this, is that God's character is not defined by our expectations, our emotions, or our experiences. So follow this with me. God's character is not based on what we expect. So if we come to God expecting for him to give us a family and money and retirement and a house and to live in America and to live the American dream, we have a false view of who God is, right? And the reason I say that is because what happened is, is now we're saying, listen, this is the underlying factor of why that can't be true is because saying Jesus Christ is not enough. I need Jesus Christ plus what God can give me. And when Jesus Christ becomes not enough, when we add anything to the need in our life that only Jesus can fill, we have done away with the entire gospel. Amen? The second thing is emotions, right? So think about it. We, we base God on how we feel, always. Now, is there an emotional and spiritual side to your relationship with God? Absolutely. But if you always base your relationship with God based on how you feel during worship or how you feel at home when you listen to a great song on the way to work and it takes our emotions to make us wanna see God for who he is, we have laid a false foundation that can be taken from us, right? The third one is this, is our experience. Another way to see it is our experience is our circumstances, right? Think about this with me. You, you, we see things happen and we label it as, oh, thank God he is good, right? Or um, I'm trying to think about something in my life that has happened. You know, you get married and you say, God's faithful, God is good. Well, that is true. That doesn't just do it away with. But what I think as Americans, we have to be careful not to say is if those things don't happen, is God not good? Does that make sense? We have to strip back some layers of what our expectations, emotions, and experiences tell us about God and get a foundation that cannot be shaken. Does that make sense? Because think about this. If following Jesus is all about your health, prosperity, and attention, and your personal um, happiness, then the Apostle Paul was the worst Christian that ever lived because he's literally in chains. Jesus Christ, the one who submitted himself and took pain and punishment for us, who we are trying to become more like, did not live the perfect Christian life, he lived the worst Christian life, right? People say all the time, this is my best life now. Not for Paul, it wasn't for Jesus. Here on earth, we are not living our best life now. We're living our most sacrificial life now for the greater good of what we're gonna get one day when we get to see Jesus face to face. Does that make sense? We have to strip back and have a foundation, y'all, that cannot be taken from us. Think about, this, think about this with me. If Paul had a foundation of his faith that was based on a good preacher, he went to prison and he wouldn't have anything. If he had a foundation of his faith that was based on a good worship song, when he went to prison, he had nothing. If he had a faith that was based on um, having a nice house or God blessing you with a good retirement 30 years from now, then he would have had no foundation to stand on when he went to prison. 
But Paul's faith had a foundation that no matter what happened to him, he was going to love Christ supremely. And that's when we strip back, y'all, and get to the point where it says to live is Christ and to die is gain. For those words to mean something to us, it means that Christ, we have to realize in our life, Christ is all we need, right? And then it becomes Christ is all we want. And we want that for our neighbor as well. So there's two major points I want to pull out from this and I want to um, have you think about. And they're this. The first one is this, is we must do whatever it takes for the gospel to go forward, right? Now, in our culture, in our context, this can look a little different. Think about it. When we do things like the fall festival, because the church, the idea of church in America has a great idea, people naturally come, and it's a fun thing, and it's awesome, right? Those things are, are, are working still today. People will come to church, right? Y'all think about this. People will come to church that maybe really don't know Christ. And that's a great thing. We need to use it, right? Invite them to church. But without this, without an institutionalized church on Sunday morning, if, if something happened and America did away with that, would we have a foundation like Paul or would we have no foundation at all, right? We have to start digging deeper and try to get lower and more down to it. I want y'all to think about this with me. And, and I think what happens in a lot of ways is sometimes our suffering shows what we're living for, right? When something tough happens in our life, it start a, starts making us be thankful for things. You know, I was thinking about my, first of all, like um, your wife. Think about it. How many of y'all are married in here? A lot of you, right? Okay, some of you wanna be. Some of you may, I don't know what your situation is, but um, maybe you're not. I guess I just say it like that. So, um, So think about it. Before you get married, you get to the point where basically your wife is all you want. You'll do anything for her. I can't tell you the, the stuff I look back on now and I'm like, Dustin, what were you thinking when you did this? You know, Because she's everything. She, you wanna buy her everything, right? You, you wanna spend all your money on her. Now, I don't wanna spend any money on her. I wanna spend money, right? You see how things start flipping, right? You want everything to do with her. You want your life to revolve around hers. You put her in the middle and you revolve around her. Well, now when you get married a few years in, things switch. You want to be in the middle and you want her to live around you and support you, right? Y'all see where I'm going with this? So what happens is, is when things get tough, when we get squeezed, and I think this is a very biblical concept, we start really seeing what we're living for. We start seeing what our true foundation is. We don't have these fluffy layers built up. We really get to see what's at the bottom of it. And I think that's what happens with Paul. He, he literally says it. He says, as a result, it became clear throughout the whole place garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. In verse 14, it says this. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Think about this, y'all. They literally fed off each other. Like, when one of us does something bold in here, it's probably gonna make you wanna do things more boldly. Does that make sense? If, if honestly, I do believe this, sometimes you get a pastor who comes in who's, I'm fired up and I'm excited and we're gonna push this thing forward and we're gonna run through walls to get the gospel to Dublin and y'all get fired up. And that's a good thing, right? Believers are called to be in community and feed off each other and act boldly with one another. But if we don't set the standard of what we see in scripture, then there's gonna be no standard, no foundation for what we should do at all. Does that make sense? If the standard of our faith is, oh, Come to church on Sundays and enjoy a song and a good message. 
then that's what we're gonna lead people to. But if we lead people to a faith that is bold and able to endure anything like we see here, then we're gonna lead people into a place where they're gonna find joy, right? Think about this. I, I hear stories all the time, y'all. Listen, this, and I, I really wanna share this in a way that doesn't sound cold-hearted or wrong, but I, I really want us to strip things back is this, is I hear stories all the time about people leaving the faith because of tough things in their life, right? Or you walk away from the church because um, bad things happen. And honestly, part of the reason I think that happens is because we don't preach and teach a clear picture of the gospel, right? I'm to the point now, y'all, where if something happens to my six-month son, it's gonna be hard, right? Like, It'll probably devastate me and rock me and shake me. But I have to preach to myself now and then when I get to that point of something ever happened, that way when I'm there, I have a foundation to still stand on, right? That my hope is in Christ alone. Jesus is sweeter than my kids. Jesus is sweeter than my money. And you can take away and strip me of all that and Christ is still enough. And if we teach that to people instead of, oh, look at my great Christian life. I have a lot of money and I have a lot of this and a lot of that and everything's just great, right? It's my best attempt at a high-pitched voice right there, I guess, right? But if we teach that, when people don't get that, they have a reason to question the Bible, right? But if we teach Philippians 1 where we say, To live is Christ, which means we supremely put Christ at the top. We worship Christ. We honor Christ. And because of that, our lifestyle reflects what's supreme in our life. And so then what happens is we have a foundation now that cannot be shaken. No matter what happens to us, we say, this sucks. There's going to be suffering that comes, but to live is Christ. And we're going to have to endure it. And it's going to be hard. And you're gonna need brothers and sisters in here to come wrap their arms around you and love you and be Jesus to you on earth. But you're gonna get through it. And there's a reason you need to get through it and you don't need to give up. And that's because people, your neighbors and other people in this community don't know Jesus. Amen? And our motives start getting different, right? Like y'all, if we teach the Christian life is that, that, that the Christian life is about other things than Jesus and following God is about getting things from God and the, the, just, just trying to appease the all-powerful uh, mystical God out there so that he'll give us good things and that good things will happen in our life. That is not the gospel. Then to live is not Christ. To live is to get things from Christ. And to, to, to follow Christ for anything but Jesus himself is to do away with the whole gospel itself. I really hope I'm making sense with this. The, the second thing, and the second point, I, it will be the last point, but I'm gonna spend a little more time on it, is this, is that joy is found in Christ alone. Think about this with me. There's a difference between happiness and joy. A lot of people have this idea nailed down, and it's very true. Happiness is circumstantial, right? Happiness comes when you do get a new house and there's nothing wrong with getting a new house. Y'all, please don't hear me trying to preach some radical out there stuff that um, doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm just trying to lay a foundation for us so that we can build off of it because if we don't understand this, we're gonna be in a dangerous place. But think about this with me. 
Happiness is circumstantial. So when you get a new house or you have a child or you get married, right? All of these good things happen and they're gonna make you happy. But that is not where our joy comes from. Our joy must come from something that cannot be taken, right? Here's the reality. My wife can be taken from me and God's goodness does not depend on it. Because if I'm worshiping God based on my wife, then I never worship God for God alone. I worship God to have my wife. Now think about this. So we're, we're still at this place. So we have to get to a point where we see that our joy comes from Christ, but there are other blessings in life that we're gonna be able to enjoy. Listen, God's not a mean God that wants to take that stuff from you. He's not. I truly believe that the God of the Bible wants you to um, live in a place of um, happiness and wants good things to happen to you. But the reality is that's not gonna be the case. So we have to set a foundation so that when that doesn't happen, we have something to fall on and that's Jesus. I want you to think about it like this. I was, I was trying to think about how we, um, what we live for in life and, and things we substitute joy for and, and things we think we'll find joy in, but they're really just meant for a temporary happiness. And um, I, was, I was thinking through it this week and last night we were actually driving back from um, Athens. Both of my wife's and I's family went there and we went up there to visit um, and avoid the hurricane too, but <laughs> um, to go up there and hang out with them. We were on the way back last night and it just got dark. And we're driving in the car and I've kind of made this idea up in my head that if a deer or a possum or a dog or if anything runs out in front of the car, I'm not swerving, right? No matter what happens, I'm not swerving. I'm just gonna maybe hit the brakes or slow down, but I'm not gonna swerve because that gives me a slight possibility of wrecking my car, right? And then if I wreck my car, I have precious cargo, my wife and Cruz and Dax, and so I don't want anything to happen to them. So when something happens, I don't move. So last night we're driving and a possum runs out across the road and guess what happens? My wife's like, don't hit it. You know, and I'm thinking, this is a stupid possum. Does anybody like possums in here? Good, I hope not. Okay, so I'm like, nobody really cares about this possum, right? I mean, we're, it's literally an animal that eats trash. I, I mean, I don't know how you, uh, anyways, okay. So the possum's trying to cross the road and we're driving and my wife's like, don't hit it, don't hit it. And you know, it's like in the tire mark as we're about to come by, you know, like it's not gonna get lucky like squirrels and both all four tires just straddle over it, you know. It's past that point, it's death time, you know. So I'm driving close to it and somehow, I, I don't know if I moved the car or what, but the possum got across the road and was at the white line when our front tire got there and I didn't hit it, right? Good story for the possum, right? So y'all think about this with me. But the reason I've set those limitations on my driving is because the, the, the small chance, listen, there's a lot of times that people swerve around possums and dogs and deer and never wreck their car, right? Probably 99.5% of the time, they don't do it. But y'all, that 0.5, that little bitty chance that something could happen, it's not worth it. Because I know that my family is more valuable than an animal. Now, maybe I'm wrong, and I know some of y'all got animals that you consider family, so I don't know how we deal with that. But, but my family in the car with me, my dog's in the car too, so my family and dog in the car with me is more important, more valuable than that possum, right? Now, think about this with me. If we see Jesus as more valuable than anything else, 
We need to set up boundaries and limitations so that we can only find our joy and we can keep supreme value placed on Jesus and nothing else, right? Think about this with me. There's even a small chance, y'all, that I idolize sports over Jesus sometimes. If somebody was gonna amen, I should get amen there, right? Some of us in here are gonna idolize sports over Jesus sometimes. That's gonna happen, right? But what if we were as careful as I was driving not to get offline and not to value something that's not valuable as my family over my family because if I wanna save the possum's life at the expense of my family's life, I've then placed more value on the possum than I have my family, right? So if we at that point in our life are okay with steering away from Jesus, at that point, we are okay with placing more value on sports or hunting or bodily pleasures like eating and sex and everything exercise, we're okay with saying, I'm gonna label this as more valuable for a small time and then I'll come back to Jesus. But here's the deal. We just established that Jesus should be more valuable than even our family, right? So if that's the case, we should set up limitations and boundaries in our life that keep Jesus at the center and nothing else. Now, here's the deal. I don't know exactly what that looks like for each family. I really don't. I don't know if that means now you just need to set aside and say two nights a week, we're just gonna sit down and read the Bible together. And that'll keep everything. Maybe it means that at some point, my wife and I have already discussed this and I've already sought out wise counsel is when my little boy gets to the age where he can play travel baseball and that means every Sunday for probably um, the months March to June, he would be out of church. What are we gonna do? Are we gonna somehow allow him to possibly raise him in a way where he can veer from Jesus to baseball and just say, it's okay, Jesus will be there when we get back. He will be there, that's very true. There's a high chance that I can swerve around the possum and still be okay, but is it worth to possibly lead him astray by saying baseball is more important than Jesus because when that thought enters his mind, he could run it down a rabbit trail for the rest of his life. And so we have to be at a place, y'all, where in everything we do, listen, please don't hear me saying this is go sit in a closet and just sing hallelujah to Jesus all day. It's not what God's called us to do. I firmly don't believe that. But I do believe in our culture, it is very, very easy for us to put something in the place of Christ. And when we do that, we are saying that our joy is gonna come from that thing rather than Christ himself. And then we've done away with the whole purpose of the gospel. Amen? I hope that makes sense. I hope I'm not fired up in vain up here for nothing. So my question is this morning, and the question I wanna end with, I hope that it's... um, making sense to you is, number one, are you exchanging something in your life for Jesus? Is there something in your life that, y'all be, be honest with yourself. I'll give you some time here and I'll be quiet for just a second, but think in your life right now, is there something that you're willing to swerve to to try to find hope and joy in for a minute? This is, this is where those big idols come up, y'all. Listen, there's nothing wrong with money. There's absolutely nothing wrong with family. There's nothing wrong with wanting kids. There's nothing wrong with wanting a house. There's nothing wrong, wrong with wanting a promotion. But there is something wrong with wanting those things in the place of Jesus. And that's sin, right? We talked about it last week. Sin is the, 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 the thing we do when we don't give God the glory he deserves. 
right? And when we put something in those place, we're putting value on something that God created, Romans 125, rather than putting value on the creator himself. And that was the sin that caused the whole fall of humans. And so I just challenge you this morning, what is it? And my second thing is, how are we gonna keep Jesus in the center? How do we do that? And so I wanna just think through this with you a little bit as we close. I want you to think through this with me. What does it look like? If you wanna write a, a note down or write it in, in your phone or whatever, how does my family place Jesus in the place he deserves? Or how do we keep a supreme value on Jesus over what culture tells us to put in that place? And I want you to ask serious questions, y'all. Because if you don't do that, this will just be another sermon. You'll walk out the door here. Nothing will change. You won't care about Jesus anymore. You won't see Jesus uh, for who he is anymore. You'll see the work of the cross as not very much, and you'll never understand how great and gracious God was for sending a way of salvation. You see, we talked about it last week, how um, part of the issue is we think we graduate from the gospel. Right? We think we get away from the idea that Jesus went to the cross for my sins. I deserve to be the one getting wrath and to be beaten to death, but Jesus took it for me. We think we graduate from that, right? But we don't. And this is part of the reason why. is because when we graduate from that, we think that there's something more to our life that we need than Jesus. And there's not. I'm telling y'all, every week I come up here and I get fired up and, you know, emotional, whatever, and it's this, is because I've pursued a lot of things in my young life, majority of y'all in here are older than me, but in my young life, I've pursued a lot of things, but nothing has fulfilled me like Jesus has, never. It took me on a Monday morning surrendering to Jesus over sports, over hot girls, over a lot of beer. Those were the three things. And it took me surrendering all of those to Jesus for me to find fulfillment and satisfaction in life. Now, here's the deal. There's probably two types of people in here. I know there is. There's some of you in here who still haven't given up those things that you say you have and you've put church in the place of them, but, but really, Monday through Saturday, those are more important. You still put supreme value on those. You still dodge around Jesus to get to those things. And that shows that Jesus has never been in the center. And if Jesus has never been in the center, then you have, y'all, this is the most honest thing I tell you, you have reason to question your salvation. I don't, I don't throw that around because I, I just like to. I'm just being real. If you've never said, I want Jesus over everything else, that's what we see with Paul, right? He didn't say to live as Christ and go to church or to live as Christ and have a nice house or to live as Christ and have sex or to live as Christ and have a jacked body or to live as Christ and have a hot girlfriend. Not what he said. To live as Christ and have kids. He said to live as Christ, period. And the way that happens is we place him as supreme value in our life. And if you've never done that, I would tell you it's the best decision you could ever make to believe in what Jesus did for you on the cross and place him in the center of your life and have your life revolve around him and not you, right? 
talked about that last week. Our worst enemy is not culture. Our worst enemy is ourself, right? Think about this with me. Fundamentally, (laughs) our selfishness to want ourselves to be glorified and us to be in the center of our life, fundamentally, meaning at the very basis of what the gospel is, does away with it. Because remember, the, the gospel is all about exalting God, exalting Christ and giving him all the glory. And when we want our lives to revolve around ourselves, we then put ourselves in there and we want everybody to praise us and everybody for their life to revolve around us. And listen, the issue is not that we're that bad or that we're cool enough to deserve it. The issue is we're stealing from the one that went to the cross for us. That we are now wanting people not to dodge to baseball, but we're wanting people dodge to me, Right? When we want glory, when we want ourselves to be exalted or we want people to like us, the issue is not that um, there's, there's, there's just sin in that. The issue is that you're wanting people to dodge Jesus and put value on you. And that at the highest is what Adam and Eve did. He said, literally Satan said to him, you can be like God. What he means is you can be the sinner. Everything can be about you. And this is what culture teaches. Everything is about you. Whatever makes you happy, just go get it. If hot girls are gonna make you happy, go get them. If it's money, go get it. If it's a new house, go get it. And what's happened is, is you don't realize it, but we've put ourselves in the center and our life revolves around ourselves instead of Jesus. And what that does is when our lives are all around Jesus, it fundamentally takes away from what he did on the cross and him getting all the glory. And so I just challenge you, if you've never done that, you're at a place where you've never done that, I challenge you to do it today. And listen, the way you are saved from your sins and you turn to God is by placing faith in what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And you say, I want Christ over everything else. I repent of my sin. I repent of wanting my life to be about me. I wanna live for you. And it happens in a moment. You get a new heart, Ezekiel 36 says, and he says, and as soon as that happens, Ephesians 1.13 says, he puts the Holy Spirit inside of you all at once. And then your desires change. And then church becomes something fun and you look forward to serving and you look forward to coming to church. You look forward to going to group because what are all these things doing? They're shaping you and keeping Jesus at the center because you know that's where you're fulfilled. And then you start loving people that, that, that gently correct you. You don't get mad at people. You say, man, I needed that. I've, I've really traded in uh, Jesus for football. I've really, I've done that trade and I need to come back to Jesus. And if I don't have people in my life, like my wife who reminds me of that every Saturday, I'm gonna be a lost soul too, right? But I challenge you to do that. Put Jesus at the center. And then the rest of you in here who you've done that, we all know, actually, let me go back to that. Is there anybody in here who has not done that? Is there anybody in here who hasn't placed faith in what Jesus did on the cross and today you wanna say, I want my life to be about Jesus and not myself? Is there anybody in here? And today's the day of salvation for you. I'll give you just a couple seconds. Sorry, I just felt like I needed to do that. All right, well, for the rest of us, I want you to think what practical things can I do in my life to keep Jesus in the middle, right? Listen, I wanna 
end with this. One of the probably most powerful Bible studies I've ever went to is we walked in and it was a group of guys in college and we walked in and they said, what would you want written about you on your tombstone, right? And all it did, listen, all it did was it put perspective off of the here and now and it put perspective on the end of my life. And I remember writing, I just want to elevate Christ. I want, for people to look at me, I want them to see Christ. That was what I ultimately want now. I think as Christians, we all want that, right? He says we're image bearers, meaning we reflect the image of God to others. That should be our ultimate purpose, right? We glorify God and then we reflect him to others and extend it everywhere else. That's what we do, right? But all it took was somebody saying, think about that and then start putting application in your life so that that happens. And sometimes I think that's the step we miss, right? Because look, You're not going to have 100 people to come and celebrate with you when you read the Bible with your family on Wednesday nights. It's not going to be there. You can't do that for people. People aren't going to say, man, I'm glad to see you at church Sunday. (laughs) I'm glad you read your Bible with your family on Wednesday night. Here's a pat on the butt. You must be doing real good in life, right? Think about it. But we come to church. That's what happens. It becomes about an image. It becomes about um, Jesus just being a little part of who we are. We, we have this image we want to build for ourselves, and that, that image is best portrayed to our friends when Jesus is just in there, right? Jesus is not the whole image. And so I challenge you and ask you, what is it in your life that you can put in place to do that? So that's all I have. Let me pray for us, and we will be dismissed. God, I just thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for... God, your grace and your mercy in our life. Lord, I I pray that you would, God, just, God, convict our hearts. Lord, if if we're trading anything for you in our life, God, reveal it to us. God, help us be a church. Help us be people that are seeking totally after you. God, help us steward everything we have. God, our money, our time, our positions at work, our power at work, our authority. God, our authority at home is men. God, the family you've blessed us with. God, everything we get the ability to steward, God, help us steward it for you. God, help us when people look at us, they see you. Lord, I just want us, God, help us as a church to just love you so much. God, then we want to spread your gospel. God, don't don't let us get ahead of ourselves by wanting to spread it without us loving you more and first. God, I pray for courage this week, Lord. If people are in here and they have um, people in their life that they're praying for that are unchurched or don't know you truly, God, I pray you would give them courage to um, be consistent with them, Lord. Don't, Don't let the world tell them they need to not hang out with them or not spend time with them. God, give them courage, Lord. God, help us endure suffering, Lord. If that suffering is by people judging us by hanging out with unbelievers, God, let us endure that. God, help us be different. 
God, help us not be more worried about our image as a church than we are about reaching lost people. God, if, if, it, if it takes you revealing things and motives in our life to get down to the foundation we have, God, do it. Lord, I just pray that we would be a church and a people that are solely after you and exalting you to everybody else. So God, we love you so much, Lord, and, and God, I just pray that God, you would use us. God, use our church. God, use our people individually, Lord. Give them courage and boldness, God. Help them feed boldness off each other as Paul did, God. Help us want to push the gospel forward to unreached people in our community. God, give us the courage and boldness to do that. So God, we love you so much. God, don't let us ever diminish what you did on the cross for us, Lord. God, we wanna give our lives to you and live as a sacrifice for you. God, we love you so much, so much, and thank you for what you've done in this place. God, we love you. We'll give you all the credit and glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.